Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Consider This. Please let me know what you think and tell others about us on social media. This podcast was originally broadcast live on Northumberland 89.7 FM. You can hear this show live every Friday at noon. Thank you for downloading this program, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello and welcome back. This is Consider This Northumberland and I'm your host Robert Washburn and you're listening to Northumberland 89.7 FM. Trying to stay on top of what is going on with the pandemic is akin to trying to understand a cricket match. Sure, there are some people who get it, but for most of us it's hard to get our heads around a guy hurling a tennis-sized ball at three little sticks stuck in the ground. It's hard not to blame anyone for the roller coaster ride many people feel these days. Between the federal government and the provincial government trying to get on top of the escalating crisis, cases remain persistently high, intensive care units are overflowing, and the vaccination rollout seems to defy logic. It is no wonder people are claiming pandemic fatigue. In this interview with the new Medical Officer of Health, Dr. Natalie Bocking, she will take on the task of navigating through all these aspects of what is taking place. She will talk about the surge of cases in Northumberland along with the changes taking place at the health unit. She will address the vaccine rollout. Plus, she will provide some insight into what is happening and why. Here is that interview. I'm so pleased to have with me today Dr. Natalie Bocking, the Medical Officer of Health for the Halliburton Kawartha Pine Ridge District Health Unit. Welcome to Consider This. Thanks very much for having me. Now, you've mentioned in statements on the Health Unit's website that the agencies like yours are facing overwhelming pressures right now. There seems to be so many balls in the air when it comes to the pandemic, the stay-at-home order, the vaccinations, the cases of COVID-19. What is your strategy right now going forward to address all these pressures? So, so you're absolutely right. I think it's an extraordinary time right now in public health. Uh, we, uh, we can categorize really those pressures in different areas. So we have uh, pressures related to virus containment. Uh, and that's a key area where you're looking at uh, case investigation, contact tracing, outbreak management. And that's really your short-term strategies, immediate need uh, that we need to get on today to prevent uh, further spread. Balancing on the other hand, we have our longer-term strategies, which is immunization and, and mass immunization, because we know that in the end, in the long run, what will change the trajectory of the pandemic is immunization. So as we have more and more of the population that is immunized, then uh, we know that that will interrupt uh, and prevent the spread of transmission and prevent people from becoming ill with, uh, with COVID-19. So, so when we're strategizing about how best to do that, really it's a bit of a balancing act between those two immediate priorities. We know that we have to do the virus containment for to immediately keep people out of hospitals um, and to keep people from dying. We also know that we need to do the long-term strategies because in the end, that's what will prevent people from needing to go to hospital and prevent people from dying. So you really can't let either of those balls drop. There has to be some sort of balance. And it's, it's a bit of give and take depending on any given day and what the, the current needs are. So what the case uh, totals are, uh, what clinics are already scheduled. Um, 
some of the additional strategy moving forward is also looking at the health sector across the board and what resources are available, knowing that we are able to, um, to partner with different organizations to ensure that our reach for immunization is, um, uh, is reaching all those populations that are at highest priority as well. And that, let's just go back and talk a little bit more about some of the specifics that you said. Now, over the past two weeks, the health unit says there has been 282 confirmed cases with more than 500 high-risk contacts. And because of that, you're also involved with hosting, what is it, five mass vac vaccination clinics. Uh, you're following up for eight community outbreaks and what is it, something like two to 300 phone calls or emails every day. That's made some changes in your approaches. Can you tell us a bit about those changes and what it means to the public? Certainly. So um, I, I guess I would start by just saying that we know that 80% of the resources uh, at the health unit are currently put towards COVID. Uh, and with each of those priorities that you just, uh, just spoke about, whether it be an outbreak, immunizations, or case investigation, we've looked at each of those streams uh, to ensure that they're the most efficient and streamlined as possible. So for example, uh, a case investigator, uh, when we first started the pandemic, it might've taken two hours for them to uh, get all of the information they need from that individual that's been diagnosed with COVID. We're now looking at 40 to 45 minutes. So really becoming very efficient and getting um, the bare amount of information that we need to be able to do the job effectively. I, a process that has changed more recently as a direct result of the more recent rise in cases is how we are doing contact tracing. Uh, so with over 400 to 500 high-risk contacts that had been identified, it was unmanageable for us to continue to call every single one of those people and continue to do follow-up calls, whether it's on day 10 or day 14 of their uh, quarantine period after their exposure. So what we have done, which is similar to what other health units have done, is that uh, when our uh, case investigators meet with a case, they will interview them, they will help them to identify all of their high-risk contacts, uh, anyone that might have been exposed to them. Uh, we go through that list with them, and then we give the case a letter from the health unit that they have to distribute to each of those contacts with very specific instructions about what is required of them. So this has um, uh, resulted in a more manageable workload uh, to ensure that we're reaching all of the cases also in a timely manner. It does mean that we are not following up as closely with high-risk contacts. However, given the current stay-at-home orders, uh, really the risk in the community, if everyone is following public health measures to a T right now, uh, uh, is significantly decreased to start with. The other thing I'd point out just in relation to this is I think we've been quite fortunate in our region that we haven't faced this challenge before now. There are other health units, so in Toronto Public Health, Peel Public Health, that have had to make these changes over a year ago uh, and, and have to come up with strategies. So I think we've been very um, fortunate that this is the first time that we're having to really look at streamlining processes to make the workload manageable. I appreciate the answer very much, but it also raises an issue of, do you have enough people? And I'm wondering, you know, do you have enough staff or do you have enough people to do this? I know there was some talk about hiring and putting some resources to the health units. Has that been enough and, and is it making a difference? So uh, 
through different uh, a, through working with a staffing agency, we've actually hired over 30 additional staff to help with the COVID response so far. Uh, we've also seconded staff from other areas of the organization to work with COVID. And that has absolutely made a difference in terms of how we're able to respond. Is it enough staff? Um, I think I think we'd always like a little bit more. Uh, certainly there are some days that are more challenging than others, but it's currently manageable with what we have. Um, and we're continuing to look for additional uh, staff in partnership with staffing agencies to uh, know that we have the ability to ramp up uh, immunization clinics or case investigation as needed. Should the public be worried that it's it sounds really strange i mean when you're talking about giving uh people the ability to hand out these letters and, and to do that kind of thing themselves and you mentioned also about uh people uh, about fo people following through on the stay-at-home orders i mean that, those are some pretty big assumptions that you know don't guarantee that the information is getting getting out how can you, we be assured that that it, it's still safe out there and that um we're not these aren't falling through the cracks we know, so in general, if there's exposures related to outbreaks, um, schools, long-term care homes, all of those high-risk contacts are still called and follow up quite closely. So in high-risk settings, when we know that there are people that are potentially more vulnerable to exposure or have the potential to spread, uh, they're followed up more closely. For your general public, um, We've been talking about COVID and what to do uh, as a high-risk contact in a case for, for over a year now. And I, I know that people are tired of the public health measures. Ultimately, what is going to change uh, things right now, case numbers right now, is people following basic public health measures. Staying at home, uh, not do, having social gatherings in homes, um, uh, certainly if you're sick, getting tested for COVID. Uh, and so if you're a high-risk contact or not, that, that is the same message. Uh, so all of those high-risk contacts are getting their further detailed information about staying home, uh, when they should get tested, but really they should be following those public health measures also to start with. Uh, You've acknowledged how difficult it is to enact the measures set out by the provincial government in its latest state of emergency and stay-at-home order. What are the challenges you are facing specifically related to the provincial government's efforts to address the current situation regarding the spread of the virus? I mean, to, to say that there are 282 confirmed cases uh, in a two-week period is, uh, is pretty unnerving when you think of those numbers. How would you describe then the situation in Northumberland County right now? So the uh, so I agree. Having an increase in cases is um, is something that's newer for the region because we did go for quite some period of time with a lower number of cases. Uh, I think we do have a a proximity to the Greater Toronto area that sees some traffic uh, coming in and out of areas that are considered to be uh, hot spots. We don't have any hotspots in across HKPR uh, regions, which I think is reassuring. The numbers that we're seeing reflect an overall increase across the whole province, and that's the general resurgence of, uh, of COVID-19. Do people need to be concerned? I think people need to be concerned to follow the public health measures that have been outlined. Um, there, are, there are, I know, challenges and frustrations associated with those. Um, 
but I think that at this point in time, that's the, the most important thing to change really the course of the, the increasing cases that we're seeing. What is at the root of the spread of the virus in Northumberland? Yeah, so interesting question. Uh, and there's not uh, one single route. Uh, so we know we did see an increase a couple of weeks after, for example, Easter weekend. Uh, so we know that uh, Easter weekend is typically a time where families might gather or there might be social gatherings. So some of the increase might have been in response to a time of year where people are gathering. Um, most of uh, the cases that we're seeing are related to uh, gatherings outside of the, um, their immediate household. So uh, it, whether it is uh, just social gatherings with families getting together or parties or uh, other things that have brought multiple people together, that has been the primary, um, I guess, route of transmission uh, most recently. There have been a, a couple of workplace exposures, but really not that many relative to the number of cases that we've seen. In addition, there's been a couple of school transmission scenarios, but very, very small relative to transmission in the broader community. They're really more of a reflection of what's happening in the broader community. Um, so those social gatherings, I wouldn't say are directly tied to travel in and out of the region. I think that it is, it is really coming back to that, um, the issues related to social gatherings outside of your immediate household. Why aren't people doing as you and the government ask? Stay at home, wash your hands, physically distance, not gather in large groups. Well, I, I can't claim to be an expert in human behavior. Um, and I think part of this is, is human behavior. Um, we are social creatures. We want to, to uh, be together with friends and with family. Uh, I think people are tired of uh, having the repeated message over and over again. We're into our third lockdown. So certainly I think pandemic fatigue is an issue. I think also um, because we are removed from hotspot areas, we see it in the media, but it's not right in front of us the same way. We, we don't have, we're not as directly connected to those neighborhoods and those areas of the province that really have been um, significantly impacted by COVID with, for example, whole households or, or multiple households in a neighborhood um, becoming ill with COVID. I think that we've been fortunate that we have been a bit farther removed from that, which makes it a little bit less real, despite the media images, despite the discussions, despite the posters and the tweets and the, the Facebook um, posts about it. Um, I think it, it's uh, easy still to somewhat keep it at arm's length. But you have said in, in recent statements, though, that we are coming to what you have called a tipping point. How close are we to that or have we reached that point or surpassed it yet? So I think I think I don't have a, an answer to that because we don't quite know whether or not we've passed it. Um, what we did see last week really was the um, the parallel priorities of virus containment with mass immunization that was stretching resources uh, to the point that we were starting to make decisions about what needed to be prioritized. Uh, if cases continue to go up, um, then I think that is kind of the tipping point where we start to uh, have more and more challenges related to virus containment because we're not able to do 
contact tracing and case investigations to the level that we would like to do. I think we are going to continue to see more people admitted to hospital, more people admitted to ICUs um, in all of Ontario for the next several weeks, because that is something that tends to lag behind the number of actual cases that are identified. So we know that what we're seeing right now is a, a huge strain on the healthcare system. Uh, but what we might see in two to three weeks time uh, could be a much higher strain. And I think we're, we're going to feel that also as uh, the healthcare system across the province tries to compensate for the, the overflowing, um, I guess, uh, need for care in the greater Toronto area and other major urban, or, sorry, major urban settings. Are there plans in place uh, or being made right now to accommodate this predicted uh, influx? So there are, there's regular calls with um, uh, the Ontario Health uh, Eastern Region uh, and the hospitals and the health units that look at capacity around that. Uh, I, uh, I know that the province at a provincial level is looking at this and, and there are uh, provincial agencies and organizations with that responsibility. Uh, so I'm not, I don't have all of those details, but I know that those contingency plans are being, are being looked at. As we approach or surpass this tipping point, does this increase the chances of county residents getting COVID-19? I think we, we know that there uh, is more COVID-19 around right now, right? So we're identifying more cases. And when it, it's around more, then we're at higher risk of being exposed to it. Uh, it's a type of virus that is person to person. Um, and uh, there are certainly some settings that are higher risk, uh, multiple people in, in smaller rooms, poor ventilation. Uh, but certainly when we know there's more COVID, that means higher risk of exposure to COVID. Is the provincial government going far enough then to stem the spread of the virus and its variants? The provincial government's been faced with some really challenging decisions. Um, they, uh, there's a, I guess, spectrum of ways that you can approach uh, how to uh, further encourage people to cooperate with public health measures. And you've probably noticed in their announcements. I think there are certainly things that they could do that uh, specifically target, uh, I think, the root of some of the transmission. So for example, um, the large outbreaks that have occurred in settings where uh, uh, for essential workers, like um, in, in large manufacturing facilities in Peel or Toronto, things like paid sick leave um, and uh, uh, it would make a difference. And, the, and there's provincial modeling um, from the science table that, that looks at that. So there are uh, additional things that uh, would be, I think, helpful to uh, especially target and um, I guess, further contained spread of the virus. What do we need to be doing in Northumberland to get cases down? I, I do think the, the um, number one underlying thing to get cases down is, uh, is right now is to stay at home and to, to not have any social gatherings outside of, of your household unless it's for essential business um, or essential childcare, et cetera. Uh, there, um, I can appreciate the frustration uh, of residents. I, I, it has been 
there's been a tremendous toll on residents, uh, especially related to small business, to finances, uh, uh, to family connections, to mental health, uh, to social connectedness. Um, however, demonstrations that are bringing people together is, is the opposite direction that we want to be going if we want to prevent spread of the virus, because those really, although they're outdoors, uh, the closer that people get to each other, there's the opportunity for, for spread of the virus. Do you support the actions of local police forces in enforcing the stay-at-home orders and the emergency rules? So I know that the, the province has gone back and changed some of those enforcement orders that have put, um, I think, police departments in a really challenging position. Uh, I, I support uh, enforcement of uh, public health legislation and the emergency legislation as really a last resort when all of our measures of, of education, um, really empowering people to make those decisions uh, have failed. So I think at any time when you're uh, looking at enforcement that uh, is, uh, I guess, addressing individual liberties that you, you've tried everything else beforehand. At some point in time, when people are breaking the law, they're breaking the law, and then enforcement has, uh, has a role to play. The vaccine rollout has drawn a lot of criticism from many corners. You see and hear people complaining about how it's going. Can you walk us through what is taking place so people can better understand why it seems to be so slow and rolling out and it's so hard to get an appointment? Certainly, it has been, so you're absolutely right, the entire vaccination rollout is, is a challenge and it's a giant jigsaw puzzle. Um, so I think starting at, at the beginning, um, uh, we know that there's been challenges in supply overall for the entire country and for the entire province. So for example, uh, most recently, the Moderna vaccine uh, that we were supposed to have received uh, this week um, has been delayed uh, by two weeks and the supply was also cut in half. So, and that is supply to Canada overall. Uh, in addition, Pfizer allocations um, have decreased to this area also as allocations around the province change. So supply overall is a challenge. We are still in an era of vaccine shortage. And when there is less supply, that means there's less opportunity for vaccination appointments. At the same time, the province um, has been really wanting to push ahead. So they've been expanding eligibility. Uh, so you'll recall that we started with people over the age of 80 and then down to 75. And then at some point we kind of skipped down to 60. And uh, so it, it's continued to expand um, because there are some health units, uh, depending on their age structure, that were able to go through some of those age groups faster. There's other health units that might have an older age population that go through it slower, uh, but the allocations really remain the same. So there's, there's been a, a bit of a mismatch in some areas with supply and demand. I, the other thing I think that's more, more recently is at, from a provincial level, when they're looking at allocation of vaccine across the province, they've been looking at the need for more vaccine to be going to hotspot areas. So the reality of what that means for our region, that's not a hotspot, is that we might receive less vaccine per capita than an area that is an identified hotspot because that's where a huge number of cases are. That's where the hospitalizations and the deaths are occurring. And so they're trying to um, 
to change that course of the pandemic there, uh, which in turn will, will impact our area also if they're able to control virus spread there. Dr. Bocking, I wanna thank you so much for talking to me today. Uh, it's been a pleasure and thanks for having me on the show. That was Dr. Natalie Bocking, Medical Officer of Health for the Halliburton Kawartha Pine Ridge District Health Unit. I want to thank my guests this week for talking to me, and I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in today. Please join me again next week when we will talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life and Northumberland County. So please tune in. If you would like to listen or share this or any podcast, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. There you will find past podcasts, news, and other information about life and politics in Northumberland County. Or you can go to the radio station's website at northumberland897.ca. I'm Robert Washburn. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in. And I hope over the week you will continue to consider this. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Consider This. If you have any comments or would like to suggest a story, please contact me at considerthisnorthumberland at gmail.com or you can message me on Facebook at Consider This. If you enjoyed this podcast or are looking for more news and information about Northumberland County, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. That's consider-this.ca. And don't forget to share. And again, thank you for listening and stay tuned for more from Consider This.